0: So I want to continue to talk to you about successfully passaging through desert experiences. I was amazed at the amount of feedback I got from the message we shared last week. But I want to start off by trying to tell you or explain to you why you go through desert experiences or why bad things actually do happen to you and to me. And there's four reasons for this. The first one is the fall of man in the Garden of Eden opened the door to suffering. And to sin. So when they ate ate the forbidden fruit, sin and suffering entered into our world. So we're going to turn to Genesis in chapter 3 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, in verse 16 to 19. To the woman, he said, This is after the fall. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Curse it as a ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread." Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. The root cause, we need to understand this, of all suffering upon the earth and pain is a consequence of sin and rebellion against God. So the planet is cursed. That's why you have volcanoes. You have earthquakes. You have tsunamis and plagues and predators and floods. The planet is cursed, but also mankind, according to Scripture, has been cursed. And therefore we suffer fear and hatred and lust and greed and sickness and all that kind of thing. We, we suffer the indignity of aging and sometimes a very unpleasant death. Let me tell you, this was never the way it was meant to be. That was not in God's plan. But through the fall... Things have gone wrong. You may want to find Eve when you get to heaven and give her a piece of your mind and, and blame her. But the fact is, if you were there, you would have probably done the same thing as she did. We live, you know, although we've been redeemed by Jesus from the curse of the law, we still live in a world of sin and where there is a lot of suffering. The second reason there's a lot of suffering in the world is simply because of Satan and his forces. They're very active. Is that right? 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't ever blame God. Blame the fall of mankind or blame the devil. But do not blame God. None of this is his fault. He never wanted it to be like this his plan was heaven on earth. So the devil has one thing in mind to cause as much havoc in your life and in my life as he possibly can. He came to steal, steal kill, and destroy. The door was opened through the fall and through sin. We cannot and must not blame God. Then there's man's free will. Wow. God's given us a free will. To make our own true. How many of you are glad you've got a free will? Yeah, yeah I'm not. <laughs> Good on you for being glad. Sometimes I wish God hadn't because I've made so many mistakes. And if God had just said, no, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to force you to do it. And all the time, I kind of think, well, at least my life would be Fantastic. You know, I would, no, no, I would have not made no mistakes. I would have never said a wrong thing if God had made me a robot and controlled me. But God didn't want robots. He wanted people to uh, worship Him out of free will. So the bad decisions I've made have caused me deserts, have caused me suffering. Anyone else made a bad decision? Give me a wave. Yeah, hey. So blame yourself. Don't blame God. I'm here to defend my master. I'm here to defend Jesus. He's the lover of my soul. God is good all the time. He is faithful and true and just. He'll never do anything to hurt you or to harm you. That's why he deserves all our praise. But free will also means we can cause others to suffer. The drunk driver who takes out a family of one, two, three, four, five people. The violent husband or wife that causes a lot of Suffering in their home. <coughs> suicide bombers. Why can they do that, folks? Free will. They're allowed to. Can't stop them. Causes a lot of suffering. Unfaithful partners. Why do they do that? Free will. You're starting to think, boy, I wish God hadn't given everybody a free will. <laughs> it's really challenging, isn't it? those who abuse others physically, emotionally, sexually. To remove suffering in the world, God would have to remove free will. I don't know if we're up for that. Then in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to find out that God actually disciplines us as well. Did you realize that? Why don't you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. You won't like these verses, but I'm going to read them anyway. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to your sons? My son, do not despise the chastening. Everyone say chastening. Mm, Of the Lord. What? (laughs) Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Pretty strong words, aren't they? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. God chastens those he loves. So I wonder whether you always interpret this something that happens to you as God actually chastening you? And we rather just blame everything else. But maybe you know you've just been corrected in some situation. Do you ever think, oh God, you're chastening me? Or do you think, boss, you're mean? (laughs) You know what I mean? Sometimes we just misinterpret what God, it's actually what God is doing in our lives. How many of you believe God's in charge of your life? Yeah, Yeah. well, need to see what he's doing in our lives. So here's a question. Who loves a child more? The father that lets the kid just do anything he likes, make a mess of his life and be undisciplined, or the father who trains and seeks to discipline his child to learn to do right. Which one is more loving? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's the Father that trains and disciplines. We don't like discipline, but it's necessary and it's good for us. How many of you have felt the disciplining hand of God? Yeah, most of us have, I'm sure. So having given you four reasons why suffering and deserts happen in our lives, I have to add one more reason, and that is we really don't know. We really don't know why some people suffer our desert experience. Why do some people lose a loved one in a car accident? Why does someone have a terminal illness when they're far too young? Why do some suffer in poverty? I don't know. And most of us don't know. But, you know, why are some healed? And some are not. The fact that we don't understand, I want to suggest, is what, make God, what makes God God. God. See, imagine if you could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be a very big God, would he? And he's beyond understanding. He's beyond comprehension. It just shows us how big God is, how immense God is, how unfathomable God is. He is enormous. And so in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Some of you think, no, God, you should have done it this way. He said, excuse me? As he said to Job, where were you when I founded the world? And where were you when I created the universe if you're trying to counsel me? No, no, God's ways are beyond finding out. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But one thing we can be certain of, absolutely sure, Romans 8:28, all things work together for good for them that love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. So by faith, we have to believe that God works everything for good. Not some things, all things. He can actually work good out of them. God's word is true. Tried in the furnace of fire seven times. Found without error, found without fault. God's, You can trust the book. If the book says it, you can believe it and receive it. Hey, Kaitai, I hope you're doing okay up there giving me a few amens as we go. Come on, give the Lord a clap, won't you? Up in Kytia, do that, please. It will be awesome. All right, so recently we saw six things that um, we need to know to successfully passage through desert experiences. You might remember these. Kytia, just take a note of these. There are six. You can get a copy of the DVD uh, from Church Unlimited and down here in the West. So six things. Number one is in the desert experience, you're passing through. God leads us into tunnels which have an exit, not caves, which are a dead end. Number two, every believer has a date with the desert. It's a pattern of Scripture. You're not uniquely chosen by God for a special desert. You're not that special. We all have a date with the desert. Number three, it's easy to misinterpret the desert. We think we must be out of God's will. We may have done something wrong. That's not necessarily the case. Number four, it's not a place of punishment, but a place of promise. Good things happen in the desert. Really good things happen in the desert. Five, deserts are not easy to traverse. They're a dangerous time. You can easily get wrong attitudes. So you need to get godly counsel around you, people to help you to get through successfully. We're not good in the desert. And number six, it's a place of growth. Isaiah 45 verse three says, "I will give you treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places." There are unbelievable, wonderful riches. Treasures for you to find in your desert experience. Make sure you collect those treasures on the way through and come out far more wealthy and rich in God than when you entered into your desert. Amen? Amen. So I want to give you four more things to know to successfully passage through a desert experience. Number one, it is a place of testing. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and verse 2, a place of testing. What do we read there? And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So pressure reveals what's in us, good or bad. If you squeeze a lemon, what comes out is sour. If you squeeze a honeycomb, what comes out is sweetness. Ask the person next to you, are you as lemon or a honeycomb? (laughs) How many honeycombs do we have up in Kaitaia? I'm sure you're all honeycombs, all right? A A desert can reveal the weaknesses in you that God wants to deal with. Are you under pressure right now? You're being squeezed? What's coming out? God wants to deal with it. He wants to change it. wants to transform it. There was a pastor who woke up one day and he felt a total absence of God, which is possible. We don't know how much God's presence is just around us. He just felt absolutely bereft of God. And it just felt terrible. The next day it was worse. He couldn't prepare his sermon. Went on for a few days. And then finally on about the Tuesday, the presence was back. The Lord spoke to him. It had been a test. He said, I was just testing you. Because I'm getting, ready, getting you ready to take you to a higher level of service for me. And I wanted to see what you would do in the desert. Wow. What you would do in the desert. See, a lot of us kind of back off in the desert, back away from God. Develop attitudes, thoughts. Just not going to, God, well, I'm just not going to give it the same now, God, because, you know, this is desert. So God's testing us. You know, I reckon when you're in a desert, go into overdrive for God. Push harder, serve more fervently, give it all you've got and say, God, desert or no desert, I am yours 100%. I'll serve you with every ounce of strength that I have got in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. A Desert time can reveal those weaknesses in us. So anyway, the Lord said to him he had done well and stepped him up to a whole, whole higher level of relationship and ministry in God. See, the desert wasn't in this case to test to to disapprove him, but it was to approve of him. See, God's not always out to make us look bad. Sometimes he's out to show us how good we are and how far we've actually come. So cool, isn't it? God is good. So some of you are going through darkness, despair, testing right now. God's not wanting to necessarily expose you or reject you. He's wanting to get you ready to take you to a better place, to a higher level in Him. Then A desert can be a place of rest. Wow, it doesn't feel like that, does it? Mark 6.31. Come aside by yourselves to a desert place. What? And rest a while. I want you to think about this for a while. They went to a desert to get a rest. Come apart before you come apart. Come apart before you fall apart. So many people live under the compulsion of doing things all the time for God and for others. They always have to be doing. Even God cannot slow them down. And sometimes a desert can put a stop on our doing and bring us to an end of ourselves because you can run out of gas in the desert. I mean, you've noticed there's no petrol stations in the desert. You run out of gas, you come to a standstill, you stop. And sometimes that's the best thing for your life—to actually stop and halt. Because when you stop, you get fresh perspective, you get fresh insight, you get fresh understanding. You know, we can be in the trap. To tra- we can be susceptible to this trap of do, 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 in order to be accepted. So we do in order for God and others to accept us. But we're human beings. We're not meant to be human doings. So we're being, not doing, all the time. We need to be more. Jesus' baptism, He heard the words, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was before Jesus did anything, before He preached a sermon, before He healed the sick, before He did anything of significance. God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus functioned from a place of acceptance. He served from a place of acceptance. He didn't serve to be accepted. He didn't do to receive acceptance. He started from, I'm accepted in the beloved. And when you've got that, you serve with great more far greater liberty and freedom and joy in your life. Sometimes God may use a desert just so you stop. Forced time out. It's so important. I believe from time to time to slow down. So I like flying on my own. Cuz I stop, I have to stop. Often for 10 hours, 12 hours and I can think and reflect. Get new perspective. Get renewed inside. It's a fantastic thing. If you've not taken a day out, sorry some of you can't do it if you've got heaps of kids and all that. I know you can't do that. But for others who can, get some time out. Take a day's annual leave and get in the bush or wherever it suits you. On the beach, spend time with God. Honestly, it would be one of the best things that you could do. You'll see a lot of things very differently. A lot of things that are bothering you and trouble you will just fall away as God gives fresh perspective. It's also a place of consecration. You know the story of Hannah? She had no kids. It was a real desert experience. It's a great trial. She was mocked by Peniah, her husband's other wife, which made it worse. But God was there. He always is. And he was at work. Watch what happens. Through the desert, God worked deeply in Hannah's life. Until she came to a place in God that we read of in 1 Samuel 1, 10 and She was in bitterness of soul, prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. It was a deep, deep covenant of consecration to the Lord. Because what she was basically saying is, God, if you give me a child, he's yours. He'll spend his life in the temple away from home. Friends, that is a very deep level of consecration to God. And through the desert experiences, God wants to work a deeper commitment into our lives so we can be more fruitful for him and we can have a closer walk with him. I want to encourage you today, whatever desert you're going through, You know the tragedy of some desert, people draw away from God. But the whole purpose of a desert is to get you closer into God. And right now, whatever's happening in your life, push into God. Get closer to Him because that is the ultimate goal of life, is to get closer to God. The ultimate goal of life is not to have great success and great effectiveness and great ministry, all of that sort of stuff. That's fine. But the greater goal than that, friends, is a deeper, more intimate walk with God. And that's probably the greatest treasure, one of the greatest treasures you're going to get out of a time in the desert, a new consecration. And that desert will be worth every moment of it. See, sometimes God keeps us waiting as he works in our lives. Hannah was called to be the mother of Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of all times, especially in the New Testament time. And he turned a nation back to God. For her to successfully fulfill her ministry, there had to come a depth of consecration. That was just amazing. And friends, sometimes that's what God's working at all the time. I've got to get you deeper. I've got to get you closer to me so you can handle the things I want you to do in your life. Other times, God wants certain things to die in our lives. Mm hmm. <coughs> Ambition. Hello. Self will. Possessions. Attitudes. Things that will af- hinder our effectiveness. And sometimes God takes years to work some of these things out of us. You know, I've often heard it said when you no longer need it or want it or have to have it, God will give it to you. Sometimes we just so oh, want it, want it, want it. And God, we're going you know, to go through anything so we can want it. God said, no, no, just stop wanting it, then I'll give it to you. <laughs> Often the way it is. And uh, so God works in our lives. And see, the things that are going to hinder our effectiveness, he wants to remove. And sometimes it takes years to do that. Joseph, remember, years and years and years in the desert. Same with Moses. Same with David. Years in the desert. You might think, God, I've been in the desert 10 years. Hey, Moses did 40. All right, so zip it. It can take a long time. It can take a long, long time. But if character's not been worked into our lives, it may be our ruin. I read of this, uh, this ex-member of a motorcycle gang, and he got saved, went to Bible college, became a pastor. But one day under pressure, he punched one of the parishioners in the eye, black eye. Guy turned up to church the following day, and they asked him what happened. They said, well, the pastor beat me up, and he lost the church. See? God hadn't been able to work enough character in his life. So imagine if next Sunday someone turns up here with a black eye. They say, well, what happened? Just say, Pastor Tark punched me up. You probably say, gosh, he is really tough. You know, that guy, he must live in the gym. He's so strong. (laughs) Deal with the character flaws. So important. Really vital. Because they will hold you up. Sometimes we don't know what's holding us up. There is stuff holding us up. You can be sure of that. That God's trying to work in our lives. Then it's a place of preparation. Let's go to Isaiah 40 and verse 3. Isaiah 40 and verse 3. Ah, another interesting verse. This is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert. Make straight in the desert, see? A highway for our God. I want to look at this a different way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. While we're in the desert, it can be a time that uh, we can prepare ourselves for the Lord to come to us. Prepare the way of the Lord to come to us in a greater way. So you're in the desert. Use it as a time to allow God to work in your heart, work in your spirit, work in your character. Create greater hunger in you. So that you're preparing a way for the Lord to come to you in a greater measure. That's one of the enormous blessings of a desert experience, more of God in your life. See, accomplishments come in two kinds, external, internal. And most of us concentrate on external accomplishments. Do you know, it's easier to pour effort and energy into a project instead of or rather than on our side, ourselves. Imagine if you've got a project and you put this unbelievable effort and energy into it, whatever it might be, a garden or whatever, or of writing a book, or I don't know what your projects are, but you put all this enormous energy. In. Imagine if you put the same amount of energy working on your character, working on the inside of your life and being changed into the image and glory of God. I think we would all make a whole lot more progress if we put as much effort into what we do on the outside, our projects, our work, if we put as much onto our inside. See, God's more interested, listen, in who you're becoming than in what you're doing. We focus on what we're doing so much. No, no, God says, I'm more interested in who you become. Wouldn't it be sad to stand before God and have been a mega success in life? And God looks at you and says, yeah, but you've got all these character flaws that you never dealt with. You know, level three in heaven for you. Sorry, when you expected to be right up close to God. Don't miss this, folks. Don't miss it. Internal is more important than external accomplishments. OK, so God will slow us down on external accomplishments. sometimes you'll just slow it down and say, "No, no I'm not, just not going to let you do all that. I'm just slow you down, slow you down, slow you down. He said, "Come on, God, let me go." And he said, "No, I want to work on the inside." When I finish working on the inside, then I'll maybe open it up a little bit more for you. So two things in the to do in the desert as I wrap it up today. Number one is earnestly seek God. Earnestly seek God. That's so what we're going to do tonight. Earnestly seek God. Set aside time, special time to seek the face of God. Folks in Kaitai, if you want to drive down to 6 o'clock service, you're more than welcome to join us tonight. Maybe a bit of a long trip, but uh, however, you're welcome. As you seek God, you're going to find strength. Equal to your challenge. See, it's amazing the supernatural strength that God can give you. So David said, did you remember, David actually said these words, the Lord is my strength. He didn't say, I'm strong. He didn't say, I'm coping with this. No, he said, the Lord is my strength. How many of you know God's really, really strong? All right. So if the Lord is your strength... You know, you can handle anything. People are going to ask you, "How can you be so strong in your trial? How are you doing this?" You say, "The Lord. It's not me. The Lord is my strength." But how do you get the Lord to be your strength? Isaiah forty thirty one: Those who wait upon the Lord, as we'll do tonight, shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As you wait upon God, as you worship God, strength is poured into your being and He makes you strong no matter what you're facing. The first thing to do in the desert is earnestly seek God. The second thing to do in the desert is sing. You want to sing more. When you're in the desert, someone will slow down and we slow down and sing and we get, oh, you know, nothing is impossible. God, help me, tears flow. No, 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 turn it around. When you're in the desert, sing louder, sing stronger, sing more. Give it everything you've got. Sing unto the Lord a new song every moment of every day. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. So in a barren desert place, the Bible says, sing. Make an extra effort to sing. Because singing can open heaven over your life and release God's power, which is exactly what we're going to do tonight. It will change things. See, Job lost virtually everything. His possessions, his health. His children, how could he endure? How come he could come out with twice as much and open heaven afterwards? How did he do that? Do you know what? how? It's very clear. Job one twenty. Job arose, tore his robes, shaved his head, fell on the ground, went to church unlimited and worshipped. <laughs> it says he fell on the ground and worshipped. How do you come out with twice as much from your desert? Yeah, you sing, you worship. You reach out to God. You give Him everything you have got. Psalm 22, verse 3, God inhabits the praises of His people. Isaiah 61, 3, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. As you go through your desert, which we all do, which we all do, make sure you collect the unbelievable, immeasurable, phenomenal riches and treasures that are found only in the desert and dark places that we walk through. No matter how great your desert, you plus God is a majority. And you're more than a match for anything life would throw at you. If God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors. More than, not just conquerors, more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. We can come through our desert with treasures, with victor, as victors and overcomers. The desert will not beat us. We will beat the desert through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen.